I'm recording on my end. All right. Three, two, one. Mark. Sweet. So I, I, go. Sorry, Alice, you start us off. So um, Boris Johnson has overposited. He has, he has spawned. Uh, and, and we're all to be very happy about this. Dan Wooten uh, had a tweet, uh, which was, yes, with an exclamation mark and a picture of Boris Johnson and Carrie Simons, like, uh, sort of celebrating together, because there will be a prime ministerial baby, and we're all to be very, very distracted by this. And his name will be Harry Cole. <laughs> per- personally, personally, I'm excited for him to take over as the... Uh, as the as like the prime minister at the age of fourteen, but then of course have Harry Cole rule as his regent, but then do nothing <laughs> Harry Cole says. <laughs> yes, our child king, uh, who we all welcome and we all wish only the best for. It's the Kwisatz Haderach baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so wait, does that mean Boris Johnson is Leto? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Personally, I I think that this this um uh, uh let's say. Ministerial baby will finally set Britain on the golden path. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, considering the golden path is basically all about eugenics, mm. who can say? Yeah. Can say. Just really <laughs> want to see Boris in a still suit. Hello and welcome back again to this free episode of Trash Future, that podcast you're listening to right now. It's me, Riley. I'm in studio with Hussein. Yo. What's up? Nate on the boards. Hello, here again. Alice in sunny Glasgow, riding that gender dial. Yes, I have the gender dial right here and it goes, fuck, is my gender dial broken? (laughs) Jesus, if that isn't a metaphor... Yeah, the, the SNP got hold I, of your I'm, gender I'm dial. I'm furiously hammering the, the like gender button and nothing appears to be happening. Oh no. <laughs> um, and also, we are joined by Angie Speaks from YouTube and also the Low Society Podcast. Angie, how's it going? I'm good. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, and also, just we're going to do some plugs up front. Uh, Angie and your favorite TF boys, in, including Milo, not including Alice, uh, we'll be at Bristol Transformed as we were last year with Angie on the panel. So if you are in Bristol or around Bristol or Wales or basically anywhere in the UK, come to see us there. There's going to be a whole weekend of great shit. And uh, we'd love to see you in the audience. I'll also be doing some other stuff. Angie's doing some other stuff and it'll be great. Hmm. Oh, I found uh, the gender dial. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, it goes all the way down. I'm having like <laughs> negative gender right now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it, oh no, that's the Jabba dial. This is maximum gender, and I don't know how you feel about that because I can't. <laughs> I don't have the mic monitor up, so I can't hear myself. It's salacious crumb. Uh, yeah, okay, it goes from awesome. Jabba to salacious crumb. <laughs> yeah, it's the Star Wars dial. Yeah, uh, and also while we're doing uh, plugs up front, uh, also don't forget we are going to be live with friend of the show Molly Goodfellow. Uh, on March 11th uh, at Voxel Comedy Festival. Links to all this shit's going to be in the description. We'd love to see you at 100% of it. Come say hi, all that shit. However, now that that's out of the way, I have to, I have to, just, I have to just say that what's been really inspiring me to get out of bed and do my taxes and go to work and face every day is Elizabeth Warren adulting like a boss, mm. being the adulting like a boss candidate in the American primaries. Leaning um, in. 
Absolutely. Uh, Angie, you've, you've written and, and spoken about how the weird personal projection that's going on in America right now. What do you think about how PMC, especially PMC people, are looking at Elizabeth Warren and being like, this, this is the character I projected onto as a child? Well, I feel like it's like, I guess she represents that archetype for sure. Um, and also she's like the kind of clean alternative to the kind of populist left that's arising at the moment. Um, I also kind of am generally irritated by how she's sort of using liberal feminism as like a shield against criticism. I don't know if you guys heard about what went on last night with um, uh, the New York Times Chapo Trap House drama that was going on. Um, one of the things that was complained about was the fact that Elizabeth Warren um, was mentioned at one of their rallies and people were hissing, doing like the snake thing. Yeah. And people were like, oh my God, how dare you? Classic misogyny. Yeah, it's mm. absolutely like, it's yeah. misogyny. How dare you like throw this woman under the bus? And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of used to obscure class in mm. that regard and obscure the, th the things that um, people are really resonating with in terms of the emerging populist left movement. And it's something that I find really like problematic for lack of a better word. Um, because she does represent that sort of managerial affect, mm. kind of like mm. it's almost like a in a, in the way that Hillary Clinton did back in 2016. And I don't really uh, I don't really admonish people for being uh, suspicious of that because it's it's not great. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, what I like about the about those arguments, it's like ah, how dare you do misogyny by disagreeing with her just because she stands against everything you want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I, I, one of the things I noticed, and the differences between the ways that people project onto Hillary versus the way people seem to be projecting onto Elizabeth Warren, is um, with Hillary, it was always, this is my mom, this is my abuela, this is the authority figure, etc. Yeah, yeah. yeah with she was Warren, epic, yeah. With Warren, it seems to mo be more like, this is my responsible friend who's just going to be generally supportive of me, mm. which leads me to ask... Do these people know what a president does? No, no, they don't. The, no. the president is there to make them feel good. Uh, sure. They're, they're sort of a national vibes consultant. And if the national vibe is that of a cool RA, then so much the better, right? Everything's fixed. I definitely like the comparison to a cool RA because uh, when it comes to this sort of liberal status quo, um, it's all about affect. It doesn't matter about what you're saying. What the context of what you're saying is, it's all about tone and affect. And if your tone and affect goes against what they deem to be palatable or agreeable, then you're automatically wrong. I mean, one of the things that um, I've been the most kind of critical of is the fact that people, uh, especially like on the liberal like left, have been critical of Bernie Sanders for yelling. Mm. Um, and it's like he's yelling about injustice. He's yelling about the fact that, you know, there isn't like, you know, basic healthcare you know there like all the different things that his platform is built on is basically based on on this like deep injustice that's going on in the country and yelling about that does not make you toxic i don't understand how affect has become like the thing that everybody sort of mm. leans into it's, it's really strange yeah it, it's the thing that uh, i thought i had invented for the longest time and it turned out that i stole it from a brandy jensen tweet so sorry brandy but it was that liberals are like dogs they only hear the tone and not the text yeah yeah i was also thinking too that one of the things that concerned me is that you know to, to, to appropriate a british leftist turn of phrase to talk about elizabeth warren is that she was doing quite well in the polls and her supporters thought they had it in the bag and then she melted on Medicare for all, and then be her polls began to depreciate. 
And I think one thing that really gets me about her is just the terrible political instincts that she seems to represent, whether it's her advisors being bad or whether it's her in particular. Um, the way in which she handled things like the, the recent open letter she received from the Cherokee Nation with regard to like her having claimed Cherokee ethnicity and heritage without it, you know, and, and, and the way she responded, the whole thing about the taking the DNA test about a year ago, the whole thing about the website that says, no, she doesn't take antipsychotic medication, like <laughs> responding to every right wing insane thing as though it was a question that needed to be responded to. It struck me that her instincts are quite bad. And in a way, people are like, oh, she's this great manager. She has all this experience. She can get these bills passed. But it strikes me that what we're seeing right now is proof that if all we have to go on is this idea that she's going to exercise better judgment, her judgment doesn't seem so great. Yeah. And I'm, it's, it's weird to me. It seems that people are unwilling to acknowledge that and instead are just like, oh, well, she has all the credentials that someone, she's a Harvard professor, Bernie Sanders. He's just so, I don't know gauche yeah. he's so sure. he's so grumpy yeah. he's not professional enough and mm. it's kind of revealing that bias in a way of saying like this person literally has demonstrated that they they can't be trusted with the most basic decision making when it comes to how the messaging narrative works mm. but because they have the credentials you believe in the credentials so hard that should count you think that should count for more like i i have i have two things uh firstly we saw a little bit of this during the debates when even just on a tactical level when she was punching right she was very effective. She handed Michael Bloomberg his ass, uh, and then just sort of never really did that again because she was just going to go against the left. I was I was just going to say I think it's like because of how deeply ingrained like the logic of neoliberalism is, mm. and how that market logic also kind of affects the way people view themselves in relation to the world. Like the fact that there is this sort of strange deference to this managerial class something that we're kind of ingrained to to like portray and to accept um and like in terms of her in terms of her platform um she she did cave when it came to medicare for all and i think that that's a massive thing that's worth uh critiquing and and worth um analyzing but people like you said care so much more about somebody's affect um and they're not actually here and i mean it's not even just with political candidates like as a person of color on the left Sometimes when I'm dealing with liberals, it does sometimes feel like they're not listening to what I'm saying. They just like watching me get animated. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. The way that I saw it was two things. First of all, that she, Elizabeth Warren, is like the cool, the, the cool RA who's like doing a PhD. Um, and Bernie Sanders is like the grumpy provost um, mm -hmm. for, all, for all the college heads there, um, especially the people who went to um, non-Oxbridge related schools. Uh, the second thing, is more to do with like the way in which lots of liberals are sort of seeing um, what they just kind of like imagined electorate. So like there's this whole idea, and this was mirrored in the British left as well, where they couldn't imagine the idea of a populist left candidate who wasn't who wasn't kind of um, approaching things in like a managerial incremental way. The idea that like change can only happen from the left incrementally. So Bernie Sanders is going too far. Like I've heard so many things about oh, we like Medicare for all, but that's going to scare people, right? Mm. Some people like their plan, so we want to like, and this is like the Buttigieg thing as well, right? Like, we want to create, you know, Medicare for all who want it, which is like a bizarre thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, not just in terms of like a policy position, but also in terms of less like how fearful so many of the candidates are about so-called like alienation, where they want to kind of make their battle 
to do with like being anti-Trump rather than kind of something yeah, which, much more structural. Yeah, that worked yeah, in 2016. You can, say, you can say if you want that how can you stand up to Trump if you won't stand up to like a, a, a squishy electorate, right? Yeah. But like I, I did see one thing that I thought was very, very revealing, which was some campaign reporter's tweet, not just to do Twitter review, but it was like her at the end of one of those long handshake lines she does. And this reporter tweeted, I've never seen anyone work harder than Elizabeth Warren. And I, uh, I just, I, yeah, I, I, I want to know it. whether that's actually true because to be that oblivious is is so amazing to me. Did you see that fan art where someone drew the cartoon that said she's fucking electable if you vote for her? Oh, it was yeah. it was really really cringe. Yeah. It was like this this <laughs> terrible like Etsy fan art. And for me, the first thing that came to mind was like, what if you changed the words out that said, "No, mom, I can't pause RuneScape. It's online." <laughs> that seemed that seemed more authentic than what was written there. So I th- one of the th- I think sort of summing this all up as well, right? If we're looking at her um, questionable judgment, if we're looking at the tanking popularity levels, the fact that coming out of South Carolina, she's refusing to drop out and making very obvious that her strategy is to do a brokered convention where she's going to be anointed by party bigwigs yeah, as the Hermione leader. Granger shit. Yeah, that's yeah because she's just is so knowledgeable about the arcane process of of the Democratic Party. That seems to be again like of all of the people who have been excited to actually campaign, canvas, and knock on doors, and all of that canvassing machinery, all of that voting machinery, all of that voter excitement. If your strategy is to tell them that they mean nothing and they're worth nothing, good luck. Hmm. However. I also want to uh, move on to a couple of uh, a couple of choice posts about about this. I've asked some of our fans to gather me some um, Elizabeth Warren projection. Come, come, so coming I'm, up from the cellar with like a decanter full of Liz Warren posts. I'm, I'm blowing blowing the dust off the shoulder of a of a fine uh, Liz Warren post, uncorking it and pouring into your glass the sentence. Senator Warren showed up tonight, did her homework, everyone else's homework, and then taught the class. Oh dear. Bam. <laughs> awesome. I yeah. never outgrew university. <laughs> uh, she's Joe March, Anne Shirley, Katniss Everdeen, Elizabeth Bennett, every female fictional character who was smarter, more gracious, and worked harder than everyone around her for all eternity. That's yeah. really gross. Because, yeah, it's because, you know, she's... All of this is a comfortable fiction. So, yes. of but course, also, you know, there's something that, that, that springs to mind is that Elizabeth Warren, I mean, her winning the Senate seat in 2012 was a huge deal. And she, for that time, seemed like the furthest left a candidate could be or a, a politician could be in the Democratic Party and be viable beyond like uh, a, a John, John Kate, or not John Kasich, uh, Dennis right? Kucinich. Dennis Kucinich, John or, Kasich. or Sherrod Brown or something <laughs> like that. Like who, well, I was thinking of like a Sherrod Brown kind of person who, who's, mm. who is like a union left guy, but also very much like a kind of like trending social conservative in a way. Um, and so it's just weird to me because it represents how much things have shifted yeah, in the last so eight good. years. Th- this is what dialectic is, is we must make ruthless war on everyone who, is, uh, who has previously been on our side until we get left enough. Bernie, cancelled immediately after winning. <laughs> I agree. I definitely agree. It's interesting, though, because... Um, in this specific tweet, you see this like strange sort of liberal white feminist kind of um, kind of uh, I guess ethos that really doesn't make any sense considering how much more to the left the rhetoric has has moved. Um, you know, girls who idolize Elizabeth Bennett as a character, and you know, it's very kind of out of touch in terms of where the discourse is at right now. Um, so I'm kind of wondering who these people are. Like, who are these? I, I have an answer, and it's a science fiction writer of my passing acquaintance 
who had an epic thread about how epic Hogwarts was for her as a kid. <laughs> and I, I like just from having met her a couple of times and knowing how old she was, I was like, but you weren't a kid when those books came out. You were in your 20s. And I said that and she blocked me. So that's who, <laughs> that, that, that's the base. That's the base. I mean, I, I've been thinking about this for a bit, actually. I've been, I've been thinking about sort of the right way to share this because I've been, one of the things I try to do, especially because on this show, we tend to make fun of other people's points of view. And I tend to think that it's funnier and more impactful if you try to do a charitable reading of it, if you try Hashtag to be kind, empathize with that. <laughs> and I mean, I, I was, th I mean, I kind of was thinking about this, right? Like if you, it must be very, there, I think there are a lot, for a lot of feminists, this, I imagine this is very frustrating because you've been told from the age of nothing that you have to work twice as hard as any man to get half the recognition. And then, as we all know, you know, in the game of politics, everyone's talking about who's got the top job of president. And you see, you see uh, women like Hillary and women like Elizabeth Warren who are quite visibly working extremely hard and are very qualified and have been adulting like a boss since they were eight. And so I think there are a lot of women who have probably made a lot of sacrifices to themselves adult like a boss but since they were eight and to then see that but that's a very individualist point of view this idea of i i'm qualified i deserve it my merit yeah and so if you believe in meritocracy which again we don't but you know they do if you believe in meritocracy it must be a real motherfucker to watch it just basically not work twice in a row. Well, I think this is the thing, right? I think this is one of the legacies of the Hillary campaign, was that Hillary Clinton, if you want to talk about personal quality and personal merit, was probably the single worst person to like go forth and try to implement that kind of feminism because of her policies and actions and political instincts and just generally being so toxic and alienating that you produce something like the tweet with her high school photo with happy birthday to this future president um it's it's so presumptuous that it just kind of like i feel like it's a lot easier to be sympathetic to warren fans there's like even with all of the the things that she's done even with all of the baggage uh it, it, it's not it's never going to be the same as Hillary and Hillary, I think, was so poisoned that particular uh, kind of feminism that it's it's just I think it's just it's it's just done now. This is like the rump left over. But I think this is also like a continuation of just like where we left off at the end of 2016, right? Where so much of presidential politics, I guess, even before, but so much of like the presidential election and uh, the whole like Trump Clinton thing was really a projection of. Uh, or did really become very, very personalized. It was yeah. this idea of like Trump was every kind of asshole guy that you knew and met and was yeah. like an abusive. Yeah. And Hillary was like the savior of yeah. it. Like, well, Hillary Mom. is like the anti Trump. And yeah, like, that's how it was kind of presented, yeah. right? Sure. Now, obviously, and, and when Hillary. People understood it. I don't think it's right. possible to like under, yeah. to like overstate the kind of psychic wound but that it inflicted. Then, yeah. Since then, that culture war has only kind of gotten bigger and more bizarre in a lot of ways. Mm. So. In kind of like the aftermath, we had like things like the Women's March, which obviously had a very kind of social purpose towards that. We've had, um, you know, Trump kind of continuing like sexist and misogynist and racist comments, which have also fed into this idea of like, um, of like personality politics and everything. And we've also had all these characters in the right who have done this, like the same stuff. I remember, uh, so again, someone like tweeted this a long time ago, but they were basically talking about how. Um, Jordan Peterson and Slavoj Žižek had become 
the foremost like thinkers of our time and they were both they both kind of came from a perspective of psychology and psychotherapy rather than sociology and politics and there was like a like a personalization reason for that anyway i guess like the point i'm trying to say is that we're now at this stage where we very much have to think in terms of politics and what the bernie movement and like the leftist populist movement have been trying to do or at least trying to kind of articulate is the fact that there are like political objectives that we should be yes, not kind of aiming me, towards. us. Right. But for lots of people, like they haven't gone out of like that kind of 2016, 17 world. So for them, Warren is like, this is a competent person who is more to the left of Hillary. Like, let's give her that. But she also represents like these socio-cultural things that we've been carrying for a really long time. Mm. So imagine coming across someone who not only like has a more progressive medical a proposal, a Medicare proposal than Hillary Clinton, but is also a Hufflepuff. Like, <laughs> and, you, and, you don't, and you don't want to vote for her? That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I mean, right. it's, also- it's, that, it's, the, it's like that brain worm, like you said, that, <laughs> that like brain worm is, is definitely like leftover from 2016. But I guess my yeah. initial issue is the fact that that form of feminism was always flawed. It was always flawed right. and it was always alienating to anybody who fell outside of the white middle class sort of uh college educated bracket which is the reason why i feel like her platform is alienating to so many different people yeah but moreover my main issue is the fact that those who don't play ball are pathologized and i think that that's like a huge problem um the amount of times that like my femaleness and my blackness has been erased simply because i'm outwardly a supporter of bernie sanders right. is absolutely ridiculous by these very people that claim to be bastions of like yeah. feminist uh, theory and culture, and I find it very frustrating. Mm. Well, it's because we're, also- it's because we're all bros, and we're all yeah. bros here. We're two, two female bros, the and then the rest. Bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm the biggest bro here. <laughs> what also makes me, I mean, I think about this in the context of the you know Labour Party's having a leadership election, and I I pretty open that I support Rebecca Long Bailey, and I'm, it's obviously frustrating that you, you, the, the, this this notion of Keir Starmer with his amazing hair representing often some kind of electability means fuck the policies fuck what matters we're just going to go with this idea that this person is somehow going to appeal to the rest of the country that's obviously very mm-hmm. frustrating but i in the case for me i look at i don't think that this is a question of the wider electorate it's a question of the labor party and apparently they've been traumatized and so they've decided that what we have to have is is someone with a, a suit and a fancy accent who's a knight of the realm and has yeah. uh you know has great hair he looks, like an, R- hair. looks yeah. like an raf do, pilot yeah you just do blair again and i, yeah. I think blair is instructive yeah. because that's kind of what happens when that personality driven uh neoliberal politics wins like a, yeah. a hillary presidency probably would have looked and worked in a lot of very similar ways to the Blair prime ministership. And I guess the, the point I was trying to make is that if Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders' policies were reversed, if Bernie Sanders were, were melting towards the center and going for this kind of like weird means-tested shit, um, and if, if Elizabeth Warren were proposing universal healthcare, universal childcare, you know, not means-tested, I would support Elizabeth Warren. Same Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah, and course. I'm in a situation where I, I see a candidate who I really, whose policies I really support in the United Kingdom being stymied because of people believe they want this fucking weird 1950s dad who's a really wooden and not charismatic politician. So I understand. I empathize. I'm not sorry. I just, I don't think all Elizabeth Warren supporters are the, the weird kind of caricatures that you see online. No. But there are a lot of them is what I'm yeah. saying of those people. A lot of her surrogates are like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's just like, I, I really do think it's, it's weirdly like essentializing basically saying that you should you should feel this way you should support her because 
don't basically you're you're fooling yourself if you think anything better is possible besides like this one percent incremental improvement that she represents. And that's just that's just for one insulting. For another, like I I don't know the idea that the wider American electorate is like, oh, this reminds me of Pride and Prejudice. It's like, no, it fucking doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like there is some call for, as as you said, Angie, like yelling. There is some cause for anger and yeah. hurt and, uh, well, also haste. Like, 10 years of climate left, give or take, mm. is, is not something that marries up very well with incremental reforms that don't scare people. Um, and you know what? I think we're going to see, uh, because history history repeats itself now in, what, like, 10-minute cycles at this point? Yeah, well, we've, uh, we've I, had I, the, I like, do... 2019 time dilation, yeah. where 2019 took 10 years, and now we have the 2020 time compression, where it was New Year a week ago. So, I, what we're going to... I, I mean, my, I think one of the worst things we could probably see is, after South Carolina and Biden winning, Warren staying and getting into a brokered convention, ignoring... All of the kinds of things that she's the not even going to win her home state. No, so that's she won't. Be hilarious, but she's but... going to stick it. She's going to stick it out and go to a brokered convention. The super delegates could delegates could fall in behind her or someone else as a supposed compromise, and then get completely <laughs> obliterated. I, but ha she's I gonna... have I have a nightmare about yeah. this, which is what? trying to then we got to move on. Trying to LBJ the convention in Milwaukee, uh, a brokered convention, and the super delegates are looking for an undivisive figure who is like beloved by all sides of the party. Uh, to to come in and be like a safe pair of hands to guide them to the presidency and in the woods of upstate New York. Hillary uh, Clinton. I <laughs> thought the exact same thing. <laughs> Playing Amazing. the longest game. Incredible. Uh, it's it's it turns out it turns out this her is time how in the, I win. her time in the woods. She was just getting stronger <laughs> yeah, she, and faster. She, she was doing a twenty six way parlay with a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to I want to move on from uh, from American God, I'm, politics. I'm going to be bit. so mad if I lathe this. The Amer the American politics worm that is sort of living in all of our cerebellums, and I want to move on to the other worm that's going to well, hopefully not cross our blood brain barrier: the coronavirus. Um, not a worm. American drug makers uh, have recently been suggesting that the vaccine will cost over $3,000 per dose uh, and that the government will not be implementing price controls, but will instead allow the free market to... No bailouts. Bootstraps. Bootstraps. Yeah. You know, uh, because you know, the thing is, if we give everyone the coronavirus vaccine, then what's to stop them from just being life yeah. queens, what, what, lounging what's, around, what's watching big screen TVs while alive? What's to stop me from alive? going to the CDC and like rolling out of there with 10,000 uh, individual vaccines just because I want them? It's, it seems very, very funny to me. Like What the justification for this could possibly be other than uh, let's turn the entirety of America into the running man, but instead of being killed by a guy with an electroshocker on a bike, it's just uh, a guy on a bike with a cough who's delivering you your food and can't take the day off because he has no sick days and he's working four jobs. <laughs> Look, human beings aren't like uh, Goldman Sachs or Bear Stearns or whatever, because y you can't just bail out people. That's for, that's for <laughs> industries and banks and things of that nature. Yeah, besides, look, if you get, if you get, this is, all this is, is actually, it's a stimulus to America's gyms, because now everyone has to go and get healthy and take vitamins and take, take pre-workout and do protein and stuff so they can get stronger. We're trying to make the country hotter by letting a fire into every, everyone's ass. Won't people get this? Just Andrew Tate doing the stand. <laughs> um, 
But so also uh, another thing to note, America has only 30 million um, N95 masks in stock, which are like the uh, paper masks that you wear to keep yourself from getting sick, the one-time use ones. And it needs 10 times that just for its health workers and has no plans yeah, to increase its because stock. Because people keep buying them. The Surgeon General's office just tweeted, stop buying masks because health workers need them and you don't. Uh, well, so I'm looking forward to some very like rational purchasing decisions. Um, I, I I don't know if any of us have masks yet. I'm sure my mom gave me two. Of, of course, of course, <laughs> mine too. <laughs> uh, but Angie, what what do you think? No, of this? I'm just like I'm like a generally like hypochondriac, paranoid person, and I want to know how much of this shit do I need to be like worried about? I'm very my self interest kicks in whenever fear monger. I'm a human being at the end someone, of the day. <laughs> someone once told me that like if people knew how much bacteria and just like general kind of danger there is like on one tube journey, they would never travel again. This is uh, uh, that's me. That's me. <laughs> like if someone travel. actually, if someone actually was like, these are all the ways that you could die on one tube journey. Yeah, was, was like, that no person, one would ever take it again. Was that oh person my, my internal monologue? Because that's why I <laughs> that's never leave like the my flat. Internal so if you want, if you want to take this closer to home, actually, um, I have a, a little dispatch from our no, sweet precious that's, boy. That's the thing that we don't <laughs> want to do is take it closer to home. Also, well, just, just before we continue, I kind of feel like at some point in this timeline Ma Martin Shkreli is going to come back. Oh yeah, and like privatize and, and like, we kind of like <laughs> forgotten that he exists, but he's still like mm. plotting something. He's in jail, like, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's the thing. Nearly, like, fucking uh, shit. Mm. Wilson Fisk starts season two of Daredevil in jail. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? what Mar maybe Martin Shkreli is actually just like brewing up the coronavirus vaccine in his toilet. Yokes Martin Shkreli. Yeah, he's getting huge. He's making what he would make anything in a toilet. Like he's making his the prison yeah, he vaccine. Just, he, he's he making got whatever. Big in prison. Yeah, <laughs> it still has a tiny head though. Um, so uh, on UK shores, our sweet precious uh, boy Matt Hancock has. Uh, this is. In a surprisingly good move. Yeah, he did the Matt, grime thing again. Yeah, Matt Hancock. I feel like once every every once in a while, he gives me this little hint that if only we could just have one conversation with him, we could convince him. him to come over. Yeah, Ma he Matt Hancock, come to Bristol Transformed. Yes. Yeah, let's make it happen. Matt Hancock, if you can hear this, please come to Bristol Transformed. You are the person in Britain who I want to meet most, and that is not a joke. <laughs> um, How but, can you say that when Aphex Twin exists? I don't understand. Look, when Aphex Twin does a cute parkour video, then we'll talk. But um, Matt Hancock has actually confirmed that workers who are self-isolating in the UK to stop the spread of coronavirus will receive statutory sick pay, even though they don't, they're not legally required to. So we have, it appears at time of recording, and I'm very willing to be proven wrong on this. I hope I don't, I, I'm not going to be, but it appears as though we're actually going to be making kind of a good decision about this. However, the hint as to why this is actually not super great is in the wording statutory sick pay. Because if you're on a zero hours contract, or if you're a casual worker, or if your boss is an app, then uh, you don't get statutory sick pay. No, of course. So, and what, what, remind me, what kinds of people work on those? Is it people what, who, food services, child care, pe people who work in places where there are lots of other people? Effectively, mm. yeah, it's fine though. You just take uh, fifteen to thirty seconds to wash your hands after each individual case of like hand-to-hand <laughs> uh, -hand contact. Which, if you if you're doing like if you're working on a counter, uh, yeah, you can totally just do that. Just go and take, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. This is also just like one of the big issues with like delivery drivers and cyclists is that 
there's actually like very few places where they can go and wash their hands. Or, like, yeah, because restaurants toilet, right? ban them from their bathrooms. Right. right. And like, it's really hard to even like anyone who's like ever lived in like this country knows how difficult it is to even just like use a bathroom without having to like buy something. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, it is the so... uncut gems scene, but we're referencing <laughs> yeah. a new uncut gems scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, you know, I, I, I sort of feel like, um, even, uh, even when it comes to like public, you know, com- containing public health stuff, uh, the kind of like gig economy is going to fuck us over in lots of, I think what this one of the things that, one of the things that I think this really demonstrates to us, right? Because over and over and over again, you get hit with that canard that oh, socialism's impractical. You need the market, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh, tractor production, blah blah blah. Well, I, I think like one of the main points of this podcast has been to over and over say that's absolute horseshit. Yeah. Look at the ways in which this market is deeply inefficient. Look one at of... the ways in which it could think of the ways it could be better if we just like as a population took more control of it and this is the object lesson so any t- fucking time someone says to you oh, tractor production you just say coronavirus <laughs> one of our draft titles before we settled on trash future was produce practice much my good bitch <laughs> well now, well, well now like i don't know if any of you saw like the boris interview when um he was asked about this and he kind of gave this very flippant response which was just along the lines of like we've got it all sorted so just like wash your hands or something Mm. Um, and it was just like, and it sort of feels like this is kind of the attitude that they're going to take. Like they're now kind of like not necessarily downplaying it because I know that like when it comes to things like this, there is obviously a lot of people who overplay the situation. Mm. Um, but it seemed to be like this kind keep of calm thing. and like, carry on, right? Just keep calm mm. and carry on, and like you know, by the way, um, I'm getting married and I had sex once. <laughs> yeah, I, which I'm impressed by. Like I don't know. There was actually um, a Zizek article that he wrote for the for RT that came out recently about um, the coronavirus, sorry, coronavirus, and how he basically sees it as um, the Kill Bill death blow to capitalism. Yes, I heard about this, and I was like, I, I I don't really read stuff on RT for like mostly kind of traumatic reasons, <laughs> um, but I do like what like what was it about? Like, it's basically the gist of uh, exactly what you were saying about how. Um, it just kind of shows the contradictions of the system and how yeah. inefficient it is at actually distributing um, the things that everybody needs. Yeah, and also um, he sort of did this like galaxy-brained like Lacanian like thing, yeah. which is you know what you expect from yeah. Zizek. And he was talking about how he used the film Kill Bill as an example. Yeah, and talked about how um, you know like the, oh, it's the two finger death. Yeah, cab, the death right? blow basically, <laughs> yeah. and how the uh, Bill like he could stay alive as long as he didn't move. Right. Mm. And how that's kind of how capitalism is like operating right now. Like the death blow has been dealt and it's just kind of in this like limbo state trying to sort of justify yeah. its existence. Well, we've, um, we've, we've seen the stock markets uh, sort of yeah. have this, uh, this massive well. dip uh, yeah. because uh, of like Chinese manufacturing not working anymore because we operate in an economy based largely around getting treats with same day delivery <laughs> and we may not have our treats our treat li- our tr- yeah our treat supply lines may be compromised and i think that more than anything else may be th- that would be the funniest thing is if the overthrow of capital comes because people aren't able to get their treats I think that there had been the potential for a huge sell-off for a while, and I think this this happening is like this is going to. There are a lot of problems in the economy already, like with regard to like there's not basically what's happening in the United States is 
just complete math. It's basically like Keynesianism for stock buybacks. <laughs> like it's just been this massive splurge of of tax cuts. Um, but that hasn't translated into enough labor gains for people to actually buy shit. And so like huh. you're dealing with a huge deficit problem with people having uh student loans and mortgages and particularly subprime and deep subprime loans on cars, things like that. So there's so much consumer debt in the United States. I feel like this this moment was coming and this might have just been the moment that it happened. But also I was going to say but with regard to the, the Boris Johnson thing, it doesn't surprise me that their approach is they they're presuming they'll just do the thing they always do, which is like, oh, a funny guy with a fancy accent is going to condescend to you and that's going to be enough. <laughs> but like when people start actually dying and you have you start especially in places in this country where in the north, particularly of England, where you're going to see the the fractures in the ability for the NHS to provide because of how underfunded and cut it is from austerity, when that starts becoming manifest, I do wonder if Boris Johnson condescending to you with a fancy accent is going to be enough to make your racism dad just be like, oh yeah, it's all in, all in safe hands. They're going to give him a pith helmet and everyone's going <laughs> to <that's fine. laughs> No, it's fine though. He would just be like the traffic warden in threads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've also seen some like weird xenophobia going on. Oh, sure. Of- yeah. Um, like I there was this like article I was reading about how like Chinese restaurants are suffering at the moment because yeah. people are just like not ordering Chinese food. And um I also saw another article about like the tube and how like if there's Chinese tourists on the tube, people are like moving to the other carriage. <laughs> um so that yeah, there's this been there's been this been this like weird xenophobic kind of thing that's been going yeah. on, as well as the fact that obviously uh, the treats that we order from China. Are like- There's also like a bunch of conspiracy theories. Like mm. there was like one of the more popular ones is that like actually this isn't a biological infection. This is um, a plot by the people who created 5G. Yeah, sure. um, yeah, I heard that. And that they're it, trying it, to, it's like, a Huawei yeah. thing because uh, in, in, in my <laughs> soup brain, I, I have heard right. of I have heard of two Chinese things: yeah. uh, the coronavirus and Huawei, and, and Huawei. so they must be connected. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, the thing that I I really like though is as it express as, as it expands beyond China, as it breaches quarantine, uh, it will discover all kinds of new and exciting forms of racism. Uh, Iranians. <laughs> For instance, mm-hmm. uh, are getting some racism because of the outbreak in Iran. But my fondest dream has come to pass. Uh, we have found a way to be racist against Italians again. Yes, <laughs> it happened in Lagos because there was an out. There's now an outbreak going on in Lagos, and that's my mum's there at the moment. And um, it was an Italian uh, business person who was like mm. working in Lagos that um, was then quarantined. And now in Lagos, people are basically not letting white people go to their restaurants. Yes, this is what we want. This is what we want. We, we want. we want uh, the, the entire tube carriage to empty because someone is talking with their hands. <laughs> Gesticulating just a little bit too much. It's, 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 all of history is a mirror in that it's all repeated, but it's all backwards. Um, my favorite reaction to this, just uh, before we move on as well, has been Bill Mitchell. Who thinks that the Democratic <laughs> Party? Because like I, 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 he, I, the other person I love is Matt Hancock and Bill Mitchell, my two favorite people. Bill Mitchell firmly because he's a stocks guy as well as a Republican strategy guy. Like he's like a he's like a guy who's like uh, who thinks he's a big market player because he's like just investing what he saved up from running a boat dealership or whatever it is that he did. He's like, yeah, of course the de- the Democrats would want would want to dampen Trump's economic record, so they're exaggerating all this coronavirus stuff. Oh my god! <laughs> now even like 
people who want to do racism against the Chinese are like replying to him like, no, it's very bad. It's very bad. It's very bad. And he just re- he quote tweets and is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd be fine if I got coronavirus. <laughs> Look, I've got a pretty good correctly portfolio. predicted Trump's nomination and his win. So maybe we should hear him out on this one. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe it's not that bad. And maybe Hillary really was like in a bioweapons lab in Wuhan. <laughs> Uh, and that the surveillance cameras in the corridor just mysteriously went off right before. The the only conspiracy theory I'm willing to believe about coronavirus is that everyone who had the coronavirus also had information that would lead to the arrest of Hillary Clinton. Yes. I mean, I mean, it, in the pantsuit, opening the vial of virus. I feel great. If, if you if you go back and like trace the first strands of coronavirus, you will find it in. Um, you will find its origins in a pizza place in uh, Washington DC. <laughs> so what uh, it was uh, it was it was all contained in an elegant string of pearls configuration. Mm. Uh, but the the, the, uh, the the thing that like fuck her like going to the 9/11 memorial and then like having a fit of meningitis or whatever just all it all the pieces <laughs> fall into place. Uh, nothing nothing ever changes. So uh, I want to talk about one more one more thing today that's happened in uh in Britain that has been on my mind much to my regret uh, because I'm personally tired of having to think and argue about every wet fart produced by Toby Young. <laughs> it, it is boring. It is stupid. And yet he has passed conceptual wind that is, and it's called the free speech union, uh, which is neither stands for free speech nor is a union in any meaningful sense. It's, it's more just a of group a, of guys who love hanging out. Yeah, and it, if that's if that's not a union, then what it? So it's, it's a holy posting dudes. empire. <laughs> yeah, all we know for sure is that it appears to be a um, group DM and mm. a group of friends. Yeah, you basically pay to be in the group DM, yeah. but, and then they all they'll gang up on people if they're mean to you. Uh, so Young says nobody is safe from these. Uh, and then you could put in square brackets, woke, which finder generals, it's which a is compound why, plural, which finders general, <laughs> which is why, uh, uh, you're, 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 you're hating free speech, Alice. Yes. Typical. Um, which is why mavericks and dissenters of all type will be welcome in the free speech union. Okay. So the, the Muslims against crusades guys who are like burning poppies on remembrance Sunday, are they welcome in the free speech union? Uh, I can only assume so. I mean, cool. uh, I, I read an article by the, uh, a researcher, Neha Shah, who talked about, I b- believe she's of the same, Hussein, a similar background to you, that she's Gujarati. Her parents were immigrants from Uganda. And she basically wrote about why, why that community, right, votes overwhelmingly Tory. And she's getting ganged up on massively by a, a weird mixture of like white dudes who write for unheard and like uh, Hindutva people. Basically, calling her—not just calling her a racist, but calling her an anti-Semite for some reason, <laughs> mm. which doesn't make any sense given the situation. And one guy in particular that I was—I I, I noticed—was basically calling, saying that this is like uh, an anti-Semitic tract, saying that she that this group of people is dissenting from the Volkish beliefs of, of, of you know they should support the libs instead, and if they don't, then they're they're betraying the Volk. Like this is weird projection, and this person is basically like getting threats. She's getting weird DMs. She's getting harassed. Like, is that not a cause for the free speech union? No, uh, of course mm, not. Because yeah. they only do this for right wing people who like say something racist or sexist or misogynistic or sure. any kind of thing, and and they don't even get canceled for it. Just get told, "Hey, fuckhead, don't do that." No, yeah. I, I, and that's I, I, apparently I could not have called the Free Speech Union on Graham Linehan's like three day meltdown about me. It's kind of a bit of a headache because 
you have both liberal cynicism and you have right-wing cynicism and they're basically two sides of the same coin and any sort of uh conversation that has to do with any form of identity is always polluted by these two sides sort of like pushing and pulling and so much nuance gets lost um but for sure these uh right-wing people wouldn't defend um you know the right of somebody who the rights of, I don't know, like the people who are burning poppies, for instance. They wouldn't even defend the rights of anyone in this room. No, no they wouldn't. I, I don't think so. It's not that it's not necessarily true, but it's more like one of those things that they'll entertain because they, they know that they'll never have to like confront that kind of problem. No. Yeah. So when we talk about like the Muslims against Crusades people who were like very, very evidently like really kind of trolling and pissing people off and deliberately doing that, and they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, they wouldn't, they're not the kind of people who like, even need a free speech union or want a free speech union? No, they, no, they don't want to be in a room with Toby Young. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't. They don't want to be. Wouldn't? They don't want to <laughs> like all the and they're all like all in fucking like Belmarsh Prison right now. But they don't. Want, they would rather be in Belmarsh Prison than hanging out with Toby Young mm-hmm. again. Right? Whomst among us? <laughs> so, <laughs> so what these? I mean, I'll, I'll maybe say very quick, but like what the free speech union basically is are for the most part like guys who feel that they should still like have respectability. And even though they have like a network of kind of all pals who like they all go on each other's podcasts, they all have like healthy Patreon networks. Uh, they get Edinburgh shows. They get um, broadsheet space. Right. They get broadsheet space. Time they get on to go Sky. On, like, they get to go on like TV and do like the papers, and they get all this type of respect. But nothing is enough. And that's because like unlike the Muslims or Crusades people who actually like for what it was worth had some sort of purpose that went beyond themselves, these guys don't. They're just kind of people who want attention. And this is like the next big attention thing, which is like we're all shitheads and we're all going to be like shitheads together. And they're also just like extremely online. So like for them, it's just like a union is well, if one if if like a bunch of leftists with like red uh, red rose emojis keep making fun of us, like we're just going to get our mates to pile on as well. Yeah. But what do you think the left's like response to this sort of cynicism should be? Because I honestly do think that the way that we respond to it is flawed as things are at the moment. Um, Fellas, more more posting. More posting. <laughs> Dial up more the posting, posts. Increase, posting. increase the supply of posts. Now, I, I think Hussein, you were right about this being like largely self-interested tedious white dudes. What interested me, though, was the outreach to TERFs that's contained within the Free Speech Union. Uh, one of the points that Toby Young mentions specifically yeah. is, a, like, if you're a feminist professor who's critical of gender ideology, then, yeah. you know, we, the, the Free Speech Union is, is there to help you. And I'm just, I'm very taken by the idea of all of these radical feminists uh, in, in a room with Toby Young, uh, as he complains about being censored by the woke SJWs because he's not able to just tweet I about have, tits. I have a theory about this, and I'll make it really quick. I'll make it really quick, which is like every time one of these people goes and does an interview, they always kind of say the same example. So both Andrew Doyle and Toby Young and a few other people have used the same thing about there was this kind of former police officer who tweeted out something that was like transphobic, and uh, supposedly like the police had kind of. Um, had contacted him. Hmm. Now I don't know whether the police contacted him via Twitter or like just immediately executed by a right. SWAT team, or just, or just like sent or like sent him to Belmarsh yeah, for a day. Stephen Stephen Story drove a tank through <laughs> his front wall. The story changes a lot, but I think like my theory behind this is that like the these types of like right wing like commentators they're now at this like weird crossroads because like Brexit is done, Trump is done. There isn't really like. Any like any big culture where they feel they have to fight, like the whole like campus wars thing is done. 
So, but they also are dealing with the secondary problem, which is that they've got like a group of younger people who were once kind of like Jordan Peterson fans and stuff who are now like becoming broifers. Like they're becoming like people who are listening to guys like Nick Fuentes and like listening to like this quite ardent white nationalist, Christian nationalist trad shit. And none of like the people who made their name in 2016 know, know what to do about it. Like Jordan Peterson is in hospital right now. But like none of the other like like Sam Harris and Toby Young and all these like acolytes, they don't have any idea what to do about it because they don't want to kind of veer towards the white nationalist territory. But they also like have to make a living, right? So I feel like going towards like the whole gender thing or like the whole like so like quote unquote gender ideology stuff is like the next logical thing that they can do in order to maintain the respectability. And I think as you were saying, Angie, about like where like the liberal the liberals and the right are kind of the same side of the same like of the same coin like that's where like their kind of meeting point is mm. well like also i think very quickly um mm -hmm. we we can tell when a, a conspiracy theory has finally got you always tell uh and and the way you can tell is that it becomes anti-semitic if it wasn't already and so we've made that jump now i've i've just started seeing uh turfs getting very very interested in this trans jewish uh millionaire called Jennifer Pritzker, and they have now decided that it's all some kind of elaborate uh, Talmudic plot. So that's, oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I love to experience that and think about that. And uh, yeah. Look, all, all, reactionary, all reactionary politics eventually converge. All, they, they all find ways to agree with one another. That's how like, the second wave feminists are going to be able to get together with Toby Young. Hmm. Um, but I think like, the, thing, the other thing to remember is like, he, in the Free Speech Union, they say, we believe that free speech is currently under assault across the Anglosphere, uh, particularly in schools, universities, the arts, entertainment industry, and the media. The aim of the Free Speech Union is to restore and protect it. Like, it's almost hack to say. That's transparently horseshit. And I think, Hussein, you hit the nail on the head that Toby Young is a rodeo clown. And his this role... His this role, one's guys to hang out with. <laughs> he, hmm. he, look, if Toby Young were 20 years younger and from, like, Baltimore... <laughs> or like the surrounding area, he could have just been a jackass. Yeah, he could have just been like one of Stevo's friends that like <laughs> you know gets hit in the nuts on a bet or eats a pie made of like cow shit. <laughs> like he could have gotten all of his like visceral naughty thrills that way. Hmm. And yet because he wasn't, and because he was Michael Young's son, and he was here, and he lucked his way into Oxford, we have to keep reading what he said. Like um, this is the thing, right? We're also we're we're falling into this trap, right? We are being we are the bull being distracted by the rodeo clown in that it's very easy to to make a segment about the toadmeister. The Joker's uh, trick. The damn Joker living in our society, who knows what he will do next, than talking about uh, I don't know, Prissy Patel going full like femme top on civil servants. It's interesting though, because they have their own kind of weird, the right wing kind of cynic cynicism has its own kind of weird industrial complex. But here on the left, we have our, uh, what I like to call chud dunking industrial complex as well. Um, <laughs> the posts factory. Yeah, basically, where, you know, there are quite a few of our figures who are reliant on having chuds to dunk on. And a lot of, um, a lot of the momentum that could go towards spreading class consciousness uh, doing better analysis that is outside of the sort of neoliberal consensus is wasted on like paying like copious amounts of attention to people like Jordan Peterson, like Sam Harris, like uh, and and it, they, the the two market demographics sort of feed each mm. other in that sense. 
there is a strange sort of market logic that goes into the way uh, these right wing pundits rea uh, react and interact with the left and vice versa. Look, this, uh, um, I can do class consciousness or I can call Sam Harris Ham Saris. I can't do both. <laughs> well, you can do you can do both, but I, I guess there's so much emphasis on on the chud dunking, especially, I guess, in the sphere that I come from, YouTube. Mm. Um, that's like what takes up the majority of, and it's the thing that's also the most incentivized and the most popular. And I feel like people don't do the job of like looking at how the market incentivizes certain types of behavior and how the market leads us towards certain types of um, loops and like dynamics that we just kind of fall into, especially when it comes to something as important as combating reactionaries. We kind of end up just following the market incentives carving out our own consumer demographic and talking about the same things like ad nauseum, which is the reason why I find culture war stuff so fucking tedious. Like it's mm. so tedious and yeah, it's exhausting. I don't, I don't love being a debate. Although, <laughs> can I say very quickly that I do think that uh, Chud Dunking is my favorite Chumbawamba song. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, so the thing is, I, I think that the point is, right, the free speech union is there for liberals to dunk on it. Right. And for me, this is almost the same as the announcement on the front page of the Telegraph that Boris Johnson is having a baby. What a happy time for the country. It's the inverse version of that. It's the let's get super pissed off at this thing, at this entity that is just an organized version of the country's reddest, oldest, baldest id that only exists to be pissed off and resentful. I mean, basically, the all the people trying to write twee songs about Sue, you're shouting at T are the same thing as this free speech union. It's this weird kind of self-contained self environment where people basically are trying to use opposition to whatever as an opportunity to be like, I'll build a brand this way. And I mean, we exactly. all do it. We, we make fun of... I mean, I've, I, I, all of us has done it at some point. And like mm. some, I, I, would, I would be loath to claim that I'm not doing it considering I've basically been doing it all weekend. But it's one of those things where I do realize that... The, there will never be an end to their made up bullshit complaints because they just won everything in this country and they're, they're still furious. Yeah, they're well, so mad. There's also like, I, I feel like we can circle back to Liz Warren again in that, yeah, I was going to say, even on the left, there is this kind of obsession with personalities and this idea that if we can just kind of defeat this, this one personality, if, if Caitlin Bennett can go to a university and get called a shithead five times in a week, then maybe she'll go away and that will be the end of that. And we it's don't. Yeah, we don't want to address the material causes that will produce exactly. the next Caitlin Bennett. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. Um, it's so personality focused and driven to the point where people think that debunking talking points ad nauseum is what's going to stop reaction from manifesting. Mm -hmm. When there are actual like material conditions, like I said, that uh, like for for example, like um, you know the. Joe Rogan endorsement from Bernie Sanders. Yes, yeah, yeah, the libs, totally. The libs got fucking. They were they were wiling Steamed, out. They were yeah. wiling out on Twitter about the facts that uh, Joe, uh, Bernie Sanders like touted the Joe Rogan endorsement. Um, and the fact is, like, when you pr and it's not as if Joe Rogan hasn't said things that could be considered reactionary or hasn't had people on his podcast who are reactionary. But it's interesting that when you present that reactionary tendency with like sound material analysis. It sort of dissipates, sure. especially when you're talking about real, normal kind of everyday people, people who aren't like part of the pundit class, people who don't have an incentive to be married totally to a specific ideological framework because it's not necessarily benefiting them. 
Um, and I think that those are the people that the left should be focusing on is kind of give it, presenting those people with the analysis that can lead them towards better aims. So, if I, Angie, that leads almost perfectly into what the free speech union says it's trying to save. They say robust debate appealing to reason, evidence and our shared values, as though there is such a thing, is also the best way to resolve disagreements about issues big and small without resorting to violence or to intimidation. But what they actually mean is that they want never-ending debate. Yes. Debate can never M be more, over. More posts. It's, it's going to happen forever, endlessly debating and debating and debating. And for some people, that means being a debate forever, which just cool. seems like yeah. hell. Well, what, what I will say is that I, I feel like there is uh, a, a dialectic here, right? Like, between the, the extremely serious materialist thing and the very, like, flippant personality thing, I, I don't think that necessarily if Caitlin Bennett comes up to you at your university and sticks a microphone in your face that you should just start reading from the Grundrisse, right? But I, I think what we do on the show is to try and deploy a certain level of irony and entertainment in order to like the 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 sugar that makes the medicine of the Grundrisse go down is us making fun of people, right? Of course, of course. Um, so I I think you can balance those two things, but yes, certainly they what what they would like is to continue the posts with like nothing else outside it, and that's so for dangerous. For me, the issue for me the issue is the over focus on one over another, which is something that we can't deny is an issue even on our side of the mm -hmm. equation, sure, yeah. especially because we are part of the pundit class too. There are certain incentives that we have. To, <laughs> the, to the PMC is calling from within the house. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally, literally. There are certain incentives that we have to kind of perpetuate this endless sort of debate culture as well. And exactly as you said, it's kind of irritating to have certain people constantly have to be that object of, of scrutiny um so yeah I, I don't know i think there are, i think there are market forces that encourage us to uh set ourselves up as being in opposition to a certain thing ad nauseum and it kind of obscures a richer and more robust um uh uh discourse from emerging and, uh, and what that's allowing us to do right that idea that we're going to be tricked into fighting forever because they are going to fight forever because so long as the debate is never, and that's the trick, that's the conservative trick. So long as the debate's never over, nothing can change. Just living in a blasted uh, hellscape with like yeah. sea levels 20 feet higher than they were, and the last guy on earth turns to you and says, uh, did you just assume my pronouns? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to like to Toby Young is going, like, I don't know, like, it's, but, but, yes, we're in this exact same situation, a blasted hellscape. Toby Young, the Free Speech Union, is now like a horsebound raiders, and they, they, <laughs> they, they gallop in to steal your fresh water, and Toby Young just says, oh, are you triggered by how much I like to talk about big knockers? <laughs> it's more like the idea that Toby Young, as they finally, the, 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 the nightmare fascist government he helped usher in, has finally decided that he's no longer useful to them, and as they're conducting a tactical airstrike on his final redoubt, he's like, you can't shoot me? I identify as an Apache helicopter. I think you're absolutely right in the whole idea that like, the kind of debate culture is a farce in the sense that like, particular groups of like right wings and like liberal people will use it as a way of um preventing things from getting done mm. like the idea that like and i've been thinking about this just in the context of like brexit and again just like the fact that like 2016 doesn't seem to have like actually ended or maybe it did end like very recently but we went through that period where like 2016 was just being played over and over again and part of that was because like um you know the whole like debate culture 
and uh unless like the right one then like this is something that continues to kind of go on and on and on and basically like it's a rigged game it's a fundamentally a rigged game where one person can win but it kind of presents this situation where right-wing people can kind of present themselves as being rational and present themselves as being kind of reasonable we just want to have conversations we want everyone to have conversations but ultimately it comes down to like well when we win it's it's like over like Mm -hmm. and we'll just move on to the next stuff so now it's kind of you know gender identity uh related things and like when i don't know like fucking hell like when they win again maybe then (laughs) it'll be something else when Um, the podcast has one fewer host (laughs) <laughs> and you know and yeah and that's like I, I and i don't really know what to, what like left left-leaning people can do about that because you're right in saying that we are kind of part we're, we're very privileged to be part of kind of a class that has a platform and is able to communicate and is able to kind of like advocate for our positions mm. but we're also kind of playing a rigged game yeah and it's one that's always stacked against us and it's one where like if we kind of reach out and say that we will we support activists and we support direct action and we support kind of like people kind of throwing themselves in, you know, in you know, prisons if like that's kind of a form of protest. Like things that, or even when it comes to like union striking, for example, yeah. like there was all that drama that happened the other week about um, some like some chud kind of twi- tweeted something along the line, or no, it was a newspaper reporter who tweeted like, oh, the, um, the, guy, the, the people who work in the tube, they earn like 70, 80,000 pounds. They'd retire with a really good package and they're still like protesting. And it's like, well, yeah, that's like what happens when like your union is like one of, the few that wasn't kind of destroyed in the ACs, yeah, right? Yeah. But, you know, for them, it was, um, you know, for them, it's just, like, again, it's about, like, respectability. And I, and I don't really know how, like, leftists in the media can really, like, unless that whole system of, like, how we have conversations and how we have debates, if you want to call them, like, unless that structure changes, yeah, you know. But it's like, mm. don't accept the premise is my whole thing. And, like, I feel like we're constantly, like, accepting premise like there have been so many times where those sort of right-wing free speech type people yeah will come to me and be like debate me nerd about like uh because we get like a platform of privilege right it's like the same as you know it's it's what it's whenever we ask a question like why is kind of this iea child like on to like daily politics all the time right or why why is it that like they can only find like two leftists Mm -hmm. um one of whom is like ash sarka who gets like enough of her own shit yeah and the other is like some moderate you know like a moderate kind of person who just who kind of just says i identify on the left and oh lo and behold it ends up being andrew doyle like yeah. do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I know you know mean. so it's almost a way of like is it's almost a way of saying well we'll only let you advocate for these positions on television which are really effective in a lot of ways like yeah. if we think about like the corbyn movement um for all you know for all the kind of way like bad ways it ended or you know that um all well, the setbacks leading, yeah the, so the, mm. we'll call them like setbacks like conversations about um you know conversations about like the failures of kind of capitalism as a whole like a ge- like a, a new generation of young people who kind of recognize these problems which mm-hmm. i guess is like mirrored in like the sanders um the sanders mm-hmm. campaign as well um you know that's happened because leftists have kind of like forced themselves into public conversation yeah. Like the whole the whole kind of thing that we're trying to do is trying to seize the opportunity to enter the zeitgeist mm. and be relevant within yeah. it but we also never really pay attention to the stumbling blocks that like lead us that are like that are on the way into that kind of into that kind of space and how um the medium kind of is the message in a sense a lot of the time mm. uh, L- listen fe- to these parasocial relationships that you formed uh, <laughs> and, and place YouTube all of your friends. trust in in bernie sanders um, it's, it's strange it's strange to me though because i feel like we're constantly 
uh, not doing it on our terms. Mm -hmm. We do play the respectability game a lot of the time. We do in indulge and entertain nonsense when we don't really have to. Like I said, there are so many of these like right wing, um, you know, types that are like, debate me, nerd. I want to talk to Angie Speaks about how there's like a bone in black people's brains that makes them dysfunctional. And I'm like, no, I don't have time for that. And it's not something that really affects my life to the point where I'm going to like waste time talking to you about that. I feel like we're constantly involved in arguments that like, number one, don't necessarily uh, resonate with like the average person. It's, it's this like weird philosophical um, de deconstruction of, of, of everything. And I mm. feel like the right wing kind of you takes advantage of that and distracts us from things yeah. that are actually it's, and look at Bernie Sanders message. It's resonating. It's about the things that everybody needs common areas of struggle in that regard. Whereas, you know, the right wing kind of canon that they're relying on at the moment is is mostly kind of shit that like guys on the Internet think about, you know, ad nauseum things that have been played out for the last four years, whether it be the debate about free speech or this or that. You know, I feel like we need to divert some of our attention away from this from this bullshit into this shit that because that's where we're going to in, get that kind of popular support in, sen in the sense mm. of advocating things that affect everybody and that everybody can kind of get behind in that regard. If yeah, that was, makes any sense. Sorry. No, it does. I was I was thinking about this just in terms of not letting yourself get bogged down in stuff that wastes your time. Um, I don't know. I saw uh, Sean Fay, who is a, a trans trans activist. Um, made the comment that she was approached by the BBC to be on TV and basically the question they wanted her to be on a panel about was, you know, do women still have to fight for, for their rights? And she, she responded with, I recognize that as a trans woman, you're going to put me in, a, in opposition to a feminist exactly. who wants to say that my existence as a trans person threatens her rights somehow. I'd rather die. I hope you can find someone who, but hopefully you give them the kind of, you know, aftercare they're going to require from all the abuse they're going to be exposed to once you put them on TV that way. And she, exactly. said, she, she followed up a few days later. She said they wound up canceling the segment because they couldn't get any trans people to come on who would be willing to get a fucking abuse by some turf. Exactly. And in a way, it's like, they'll always be the Lawrence Foxes. They'll always be the fucking idiot right-wing water carriers. But I do think that like, there's an extent to which you're not going to be... A, you, it's not... It, it, trying to argue with all the people who get in, you know, in your mentions and try to do like post-fucking red-faced gammon memes at you, like, that's not necessarily going to work. But I do think like what Hussein said makes sense to me that if you can if you can find a way to get people who are disinterested or who are feeling the same way but don't have any kind of like like-minded people in their life or in their social circle like you will actually start leading people in the same way that i mean everywhere you go you know every fucking idiot ham-faced moron in this country who's over the age of 40 who's raging about corbinism uh is convinced that, that navarra is both this stalinist plot and also a huge waste of time but think about all the activist spaces we've been in where young people people young way younger than me we've met riley you've met who navarra was their entryway into leftist politics exactly. in britain and now look where they are like exactly. that means something and that's now, certainly in my opinion yeah but now all maoists yeah <laughs> yeah they're all maoists they want they want they they, they they want to murder half of this podcast Plus, <laughs> <Yes>. what? <laughs> for the right reasons <laughs> well, I, I, I think that, like there is something to be said for refusing to be a debate and like from from the trans side too. I, I like that's not to say that you should just ignore the many problems. Quite the opposite. But I, I think there is something to be said for letting the more obsessive of our enemies obsess and exactly. like very visibly yeah. obsess while you just kind of be relatively normal. Exactly. Uh, I, I, I think that that kind of like let let Graham Linehan scare people because he's very good at that without meaning to be. Uh, <laughs> 
And I think, look, one of the things, right, this, uh, Alice, you, so you and I were talking about earlier, which is mm. that this is exactly right, that when, when these people are left alone to stew in their own resentments, then we're just going to see what happened in American politics lagged by a few years, where they're going to start emptying their bank accounts to buy Keurigs to smash with a nine iron. Yeah, they, or they're they're going to get very weird. Or, the or they're going to like... Or, or, or they're gonna like you know photograph themselves eating a eating a brick out of charcoal with ketchup or making a snow angel in a big pile of medical waste yeah. to yeah, piss that's, you off somehow. That's literally it. It's so, so long as we do the work and like are relatively speaking uh, confident and content in ourselves and thriving, the more they will be normal, powerfully normal. And like all you have to do is just say, just, just you know what, just, just. Next time, if they if you get into a, a, a get into it with one of these goons, just say, you know what, I really hate. I really hate when someone eats a big bowl of salt with a spoon. I hate <laughs> it. It boils my blood. It pisses me off no end. If you ate a big bowl of salt with a spoon, that would ruin my fucking day. I'd have to go to bed if you ate a big bowl of salt with a spoon. Please don't film yourself doing it either. <laughs> but on that note, we've gone for a bit, so I think it's gonna it's time to wrap up. Um. Uh, Angie, thank you so much for coming out today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. <laughs> and uh, like we said at the beginning, follow Angie on on Twitter, get at her on YouTube, uh, listen to Low Society, and check us out at Bristol Transformed. It's going to be on the Friday. Uh, doors at 8 uh, for a start at 8.30. Uh, we really look forward to seeing you all there. Don't forget the March 11th as well. Uh, don't forget our Patreon coming out this Thursday. We got a real a real banger of an episode we recorded with uh, Kieran Dold of the Corner Spady podcast about uh, what comes next it with for Ireland. Uh, lots of big question marks there. Mm, do um, some review of Jerry Adams tweets. <laughs> uh, the, the top ten top ten of the genre. Uh, otherwise, our uh, theme song is Here We Go by Ginseng. Find it on Spotify. Listen to it early. Listen to it often. Nate, what's and up? Milo is out with the flu, not the coronavirus, just the regular flu. But I will include the links to his upcoming live shows. For Australian fans, just bear in mind, this month, after I think it's starting on the 15th, he's going to be heading to Australia to perform in the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Oh, so yeah. Look, if you're in Australia, if you're in Melbourne or you're nearby, look for that in the show notes for the links to buy tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if uh, if a right wing person yells at you to try to get you to do culture war bullshit, say it really pisses me off when you pray for our boy Milo Edwards' speedy recovery from the flu. <laughs> yes, but you have to pray Islamically, or it doesn't count. <laughs> so, so everybody say a shahada for our boy Milo, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you in the Patreon on Thursday, or see you when Bristol transformed on Friday, or both. <laughs>